tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Grace. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? And remembering that after our sermon, we're going to get to come to the table and take communion together. So let's pray together. Father, we pause before you now. And we calm our spirits, and we open our hearts to you, and we ask you that you would send your spirit now to open our hearts, to open our eyes, to hear from you, to see your beauty and your glory, to see Jesus in all of the splendor of who he is, and that we would worship him, and that we would be changed, and that we would learn from you, the master. Lord Jesus, that we would learn how to live our lives as your followers and as your disciples. So would you come and be our teacher this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have been in a a series, beginning the new year here, a discipleship series, where we're talking about what is discipleship. And as we've defined it and talked about it a number of times, Discipleship is like the concept of an apprentice. An apprentice, as you know, is someone who is with a master and learning from the master how to do a particular trade as the master does it. Well, in the case of discipleship, discipleship is being with Jesus and learning through relationship with Jesus, as Dallas Willard puts it, how to live your life as Jesus would live your life if Jesus were living your life. It's a great definition of discipleship. And so throughout this series, that's what we're talking about. How do we watch Jesus and learn how to live our lives in the kingdom of God in the ways that Jesus lives and in the ways that he teaches us? Today we're going to start a a new portion of that series in the book of Luke. And we're going to walk through Luke from now into the summer. And now, why do we pick Luke? Because with Luke, we're, we're literally, we're just going to watch Jesus. We're going to learn from his teaching. We're going to watch how he lives. We're going to watch his relationship with the Father. And that will be discipleship. That will be how we'll go about discipleship. 
we've encouraged you to uh, each week be forming spiritual habits, habits of Bible reading and prayer. And I'd like to encourage you as you're forming those habits, as you're going about daily seeking to be in the Word, to include the book of Luke in that. Let's be reading through the book of Luke together. And again, we're watching Jesus. We're watching who He is. We're learning to take Him upon ourselves, And that's what we'll do in the book of Luke. Now, I said a few weeks ago, as we looked at what is the central purpose of the church, Jesus says in the Great Commission that it is to make disciples. That is our central purpose, is to learn ourselves to be disciples and then to make disciples of others. And as we're talking about this concept of discipleship, literally it's like training. That's the concept of teaching and discipleship. It's, it's actually putting it into practice. And I said that the church, so often we, we tend to think of the church as like going to a movie theater. You know, at a movie theater you go and you're passive and you watch a show and then you leave. You don't go to a movie and they say, okay, everybody, we're going to get up and start doing things. If you went to a movie and that started happening, you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I came for. But the church is not to be like a movie theater where you're passive. It's a lot more like a workout gym where the purpose for which you come is to engage and to grow. And so a part of what we're going to do in this series is that I'm going to challenge you to engage. You see some pieces of paper on, on your, your pew, should be somewhere nearby you in a pen. I want you to get one of those. This is not just us not cleaning up before the service. I'm going to challenge you to engage in this time. I'm going to challenge you to make this personal. And we're going to do this week in, week out. Encourage you in this time to actually engage your own heart and your own life with God's Word and with Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to write on here. I want you to think about some area of struggle in your life. Now, if you can't think of an area of struggle in your life, I need to talk to you after the service. We need to have a conversation, okay? A very basic conversation. We all know areas of struggle in our life. And I want you to think about some area of your life, particularly an area that has some spiritual, relational content to it. Something that, that seems to eat your lunch. Now, when you write it down here, you, I, I know there might be somebody sitting right next to you. This is just for you. You know, if you want to put a code word on it, you know, you, you don't have to, if you don't want anybody to see, you know, maybe just put some initials or something. But this is for you, okay? And I want you to identify some area of struggle in your life, and then we're going to apply the passage to that area of struggle in your life. So to think, I want you to think about some area some area that, that, that tends to, to just be a place of struggle, maybe, maybe it's a reaction that you have in a certain relational situation. Maybe it's a pattern that takes place in your life. Maybe it's a way that you respond to your spouse at a particular time. Maybe it's a habit or something that you find yourself running to when you're tired when you're spent, when you're depressed, when you're afraid. Maybe it's something that you run to. Maybe it's a pattern of lust, something that you tend to find yourself falling into. Maybe it's a certain behavior that you find in your life whenever you're around certain people or in certain circumstances. Maybe it's, 
It's the ways that you speak. Maybe you find yourself speaking about other people in a way that you don't want to, and yet you walk away from a setting saying, why did I open my mouth? Whatever it is, pick something in your life. I'm going to give you a few moments to just think about that and pick something in your life. So do that now. Okay, we ready? Here's what often happens in these areas in our life. The areas that we want to change, most often we try to change through willpower, right? I've got to change. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to white knuckle this thing and I'm not going to fall into that again. And then what happens when you find yourself in the same situation, you find yourself in the same place of temptation... And boom, it happens. And then after it, you think to yourself, often defeated, what happened? What just happened? I have this conversation with our kids all the time. Certain responses and behaviors we see in them, and we're constantly teaching them about it, and then the minute hits, and it's like all of that goes out the window, and we ask them, what happened over there? And they say, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Same thing is true in my life. These areas where I'm like, I don't know what happened. I was determined not to do that. But in the heat of the moment, in the moment of temptation, in that particular space, relationally, emotionally, whatever it might be, I go right back to it. And oftentimes what happens in our life is that we feel so defeated in these areas that we just give up. And we think, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just relegated to this. i just got to live with this. I'm powerless over this. So here's what we're going to see as we look at our passage. We're going to say, what does Jesus do in this place? And how do we learn as disciples to walk in the place of temptation? To walk faithfully, trusting in utter dependence upon the Father and His Word in the place of temptation. That's what we'll see in our passage. So we're looking here at Luke chapter 4. This is where we're going to start our study of Luke. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right here. Now, one of the interesting things here is Jesus, we, we, lead, we read, is led into the wilderness. I just want you to notice this right off the bat, and I think it's critical to see. The first thing that Luke tells us, look at verse 1. The first thing that he tells us is that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He's just been baptized, this incredible moment of validation from the Father. He was led by the Spirit into the desert. That is a key note there. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Key thing to see. Jesus does not accidentally find himself in the wilderness, in the hard place. He was led there By the Lord. He was led there by the Holy Spirit. This was not an accident. This was an essential part of his life. See, the takeaway for us is to realize that the place of struggle, the place of the wilderness in your life, the place of temptation is an unavoidable part of discipleship. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to be brought into these places in your life. 
where there is struggle, where it is confusing, where the things that might have been incredibly clear on the mountaintop, the things that might have been incredibly clear in a place of blessing and nearness to the Lord, all of those things come into challenge. See, sometimes we think if I'm following the Lord, then it means I'm going to avoid suffering. It means that, that, that everything is just going to go well and I'm going to be immune from any kind of struggle and challenge in my life. And yet, as we watch Jesus here, we see God leads him into the place of testing. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, temptation is going to be a reality for your life. In fact, it will be more intense if you're trying to follow Jesus. It is not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation. But Jesus was tempted and he was sinless. Here's another thing to see here. Very critical. The temptation for Jesus was not just an internal reality. The temptation came from a very specific enemy. You see that here very clearly. Jesus was tempted by the devil. This is a very personal, intelligent being that has come to tempt Jesus. You know, in our, in our Western culture, where we, we're constantly feeling the pressure of secularization, that is, we're constantly hearing this message that the, the only thing that exists, the only thing that is real is the physical, material world. So there's no spirit world. There's no devil behind rocks or anything. What, what really is real is, yes, your emotions and the physical world. Okay, so as we think about temptation, we think about temptation a lot because we encounter temptation. But we think of it primarily as just our desires. Or we think of it as, as just things out in the culture and in the world. And those certainly are places and sources of temptation. But what we see in the passage is that temptation is ultimately comes from an intelligent enemy whose name is the devil, who knows us more than we know ourselves, and who is attacking us, who is tempting, uh, attempting to lie to us and lead us away from the Lord and separate us from the Lord. And this is an area that we're often blind to. One of his primary tactics is to convince you that he doesn't exist. You think of what kind of advantage that gives him? If we're just walking around thinking, no spiritual world here, no, no satanic oppression in my life, you know, those voices in my head are just voices in my head. That's not from, from anyone outside of me. It's an incredible advantage for him. So part of what we see here is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a very intelligent personal enemy, the devil, who is seeking to attack and to tempt you away from the Lord. So what do we learn as we look at the specific ways that he attacks here? I don't know if you saw this. This is just fascinating to me as I was studying this this week. Did you notice how Satan attacked Jesus' identity? You see, Satan knows who he's dealing with. He knows with each one of us. He knows our story. He knows our struggles. He knows our, 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 our history. He knows our patterns. He knows our triggers. He, know those, he knows those places of weakness in our life. He is going to come in the place of weakness. When does he come to attack Jesus? When he's vulnerable. 
when he's in the wilderness, when he is alone, when he is hungry, he's been fasting for 40 days. That is, even for us, that is the time of testing in weakness. But what you see here is that he knows, he's very crafty, very clever, but he knows specifically who Jesus is, and at the essence of his attack is to attack Jesus' identity. Look again. There's three kind of specific attacks that we get in the passage. Look at the first one, verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Same thing in the third temptation. Whenever Satan comes to him, this is verse 9, second part of verse 9. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, down from the temple. You see, in his attack... He is coming and calling into question Jesus' identity. See, that's what's behind the if. You know, the if is a, it's a questioning. It's a seeking to sow doubt. So, if you're the Son of God, then why are you so alone and hungry right now? Why are you experiencing this? You see, the thing you've got to understand is that for Jesus, his identity as the Son of God was the anchor for his entire life. You see, this is coming off of this previous passage. Jesus' baptism. We look back, look back at verse, this is chapter 3, look at verse 22. Second part of verse 22. Where Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water And a voice came from heaven. This is the voice of the Father speaking over Jesus. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. What's happening in that moment? The Father, just overcome with affection and delight, is speaking over Jesus. You are my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. That's his identity. That is who he is. That's what will carry Jesus throughout his life. So is it any wonder that as Satan comes to attack, he attacks in that place? Because he knows that if he can in any way get Jesus to begin to question his identity in the Father, to get him to build his identity on anything other than his relationship with the Father, then he's got him. He's got him. He can do whatever he wants. If he takes out that foundation of his identity rooted in the Father, he's got him. So Satan comes and he says, if you're the Son of God, why are you so hungry? And then what does he tempt him to do? Turn these stones into bread. Essentially, what is he doing there? He's calling on Jesus to use his power To use who he is, Jesus could have easily done that. He fully has that power. But he wants to get Jesus to use his power to meet his own needs, his own desires, apart from the Father. See, that's the essence of his tactic, to to separate Jesus from the Father. So you, you, if you're the Son of God, if the Father loves you, why are you hungry? You shouldn't be here. Fix it yourself. Take it into your own hands. We see next, the the very next thing that he does is he takes Jesus to this place. Gives him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world. He says, all of these have been given to me. 
I'll give them to you if you worship me. You see, again, he understands Jesus and he understands his identity. Jesus has been promised possession of all the kingdoms of the world. All of their splendor will one day be given to him. Psalm 2, very clearly. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. It's the entire plan of God to give all the nations and kingdoms of the world to King Jesus. The Father has given this to him. That's his identity. That's what he's destined for. Satan knows that. And he says, what are you waiting on here? I'll give it to you now. Have it on your own terms. Worship me and it's all yours. Possession. Power. And then finally, this one that's kind of strange. He takes Jesus to the top of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Because, and this is very interesting. Did you notice here that Satan quotes scripture? That tells us that, Jesus, uh, that Satan knows scripture almost surely better than we do. And he quotes Psalm 91, of course, twisting its meaning and twisting its context. But he quotes it to him and he says, listen, if you're the son of God, quotes the, uh, Psalm 91 about uh, the father lifting up and protecting the anointed one, the Messiah. And he says, you know, if you're the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down from here. The Father will protect you here. Show off. What is he doing? He's tempting Jesus to prestige. Let everybody know who you are. You're out here in the, in the wilderness. Nobody sees you. Nobody knows. You're the son of God, right? Are you? Then doesn't everybody need to see You need to prove yourself. Do you begin to hear these in your own life? These temptations to power and possession and prestige? What is the common thread in each of these? The common thread of this. Satan is attempting to get Jesus to use his power independently of the Father. That's the essence of this. He's he's tempting him to to see himself, his identity, his worth, his calling, who he is, apart from the Father. You see, that's his entire goal is that, that separation to get Jesus, who's living in dependence, utter dependence on the Father, to live independently of the Father, to meet his own needs, to take it into his own hands. Why wait? Make it happen now. You can do it. You deserve it. It's in your power. You deserve this. Everyone needs to see. See, at the heart of that is separating Jesus from the Father and saying, act independently of Him. So, how does Jesus respond? How do we see Jesus respond in the passage? Well, one of the things that you clearly see here is that the only thing that Jesus says is what? What does He speak? None of his own words, what does he use here? Scripture. He only uses Scripture. Scripture is his weapon against the temptations. He quotes Deuteronomy, which takes us back to the tempting of Israel in the desert. If you know the story of the Bible, and, and whenever you think about this whole scene, you begin to think, wait a minute, this keeps happening over and over. This scene actually takes us back to the garden, Remember what happens in the garden? You have Adam and Eve, and you have Satan that comes to them, very personal, intelligent tempter, 
And essentially, what is he saying? Act independently of the Father. Do it on your own. Be your own God. Be in control of your life. You deserve control. And what do they do? They fail. That's what got us in this whole mess. And then you have Israel, who in the Old Testament, God called his very own son, his people, that through whom he would fill the earth with his glory. We learned that in, the, in uh, our study of Abraham. And he rescues them in the Exodus, and they're, wa- they're moving through for 40 years in the wilderness. Wait a minute, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness. Israel was 40 years in the wilderness. And during that time, it was a time of testing where Satan came at Israel. Again, getting them to act independently of the Father. Meet your own needs. And what do they do? They fail. They're testing God. They're grumbling. They're worshiping a golden calf. It's just a disaster. It's failure. What is Luke showing us? This one succeeds. Jesus comes to walk in the footsteps of Israel, to walk in the footsteps of Adam, and to actually succeed in our place, to walk in our footsteps. And so Jesus just uses Scripture. That's how He fends off Satan. That's, it's, it's an offensive weapon. In the armor of God, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's what Jesus uses. You know, we've been talking about in discipleship how critical it is to be studying Scripture and taking it into our very being. Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the reasons for studying Scripture, for daily meditating on Scripture, is that it equips us in the face of temptation to enter spiritual warfare. And that is what Jesus uses here. But also, what do we see? We see Jesus' complete dependence on the Father. You see that here? Jesus will not see himself apart from the Father. It is absolute dependence on the Father. His entire identity is rooted in his relationship for the Father. He is walking in, in, even in this place where all of that is called into question. Jesus is walking in this reality, trusting in God's word, trusting in what God had said about him. Wait a minute, I am the son. I am the beloved. The father loves me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to meet my needs. I'm not going to act independently. Yes, I can do these things. I can make it happen. I can meet my own needs, but that's not who I am. My identity is the Son. And so I'm going to walk in complete, perfect dependence on the Father. I'm not going to see myself apart from Him. I'm not going to build my own identity apart from the Father because this is who I am. I am the beloved Son. That's what Jesus does. That's what He will do throughout His life. Everything that He will encounter, He will walk in complete dependence on the Father. You know, sometimes I think we so emphasize the divinity of Jesus that we fail to see his full humanity. And so we don't often think about Jesus. I mean, we know all of, all of the power that he possesses. He is himself God. We fail to see his submission to the Father. We fail to see his utter surrender and dependence upon his Father. How deeply he trusts the heart and the love of his Father. 
That is fully what we see here in the person of Jesus. So let's do this. Let's go back to your struggle. Back to what you identified. And I want you to take that. We're going to do a little work here. I'm going to ask you a few questions I want you to meditate on for just a minute. Okay, so write out here. In the actual action of writing, we're, we're exercising, okay? We're in the gym. I'm saying grab a bar, put some weights on, let's start lifting, okay? Here's the first question. Thinking about that area and that pattern of struggle in your life, what are the lies that the enemy speaks to you in that moment? Now, first we might say, what, what do you mean the enemy speaks to me? I mean... Part of our challenge is we don't even think there is an enemy. A lot of times we, we, just, we, we might hear voices, we might think certain thoughts, and we just think they're from us. Part of what we see here is that no, they are from Satan. They are spiritual attack. What are the ways, what are the lies that he speaks to you in that place? In the heat of the moment. What are the ways that He tempts you to live independently of the Father? What are the ways in which He says, you got to take care of you? you got to take charge here. The Father's not going to take charge of you here. He's not going to care for you here. What are the ways that He attacks your identity? Think about our identity. Our, our identity is our sense of meaning and significance. You know, the reality is we can put our identity in so many things. Power, possession, prestige. We can put our identity in the approval of people in our life. We can put our identity in order in our life. We, we can put our identity in how we look, our fashion, or our figure. What other people think about us. We can put our identity in what we do or what we accomplish. You see, Satan is constantly tempting us to assign our identity, to see who am I and what gives me meaning and worth in anything apart from the Father, from our relationship with Him. What are the ways that He does that for you and the lies that He speaks? What kind of a mom are you? What kind of a Christian are you? What kind of a man are you? See, a lot of times those voices, we just think they're our own voice. We think they're the voice of truth. When in fact they're the voice of Satan. What is the common thread in those tactics he's using in your life? It's this. He wants you to act independently of the Father. He wants you to root your identity in anything other than the Father's love for you and your position with Him. In any way to get you to use your power to make life work apart from the Father. That's His essential goal. Do it on your own. Be independent. 
So here's the question. What is the secret? What is the secret to walking in temptation victoriously? And here it's essentially this. It's staying rooted in your identity in the Father. Did you know if you are a disciple of Jesus today, do you know what that means? If you are in union with Christ, what that means is that you are in Christ. That's the Apostle Paul's favorite phrase, uses it more than anything else. You are in Christ. That's who you are. That means that everything that is true about Him is now true of me. I've put Christ on. Literally, he says that. You have put Christ on you. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so this is what that means for you in relation to the Father. As the Father looks upon you, you know what he says about you? You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. I love you. I'm committed to you. You're my child. You belong to me. Have you ever heard the Father say that to you? You know, the reality is, is that you, that can be functionally true of you. That can be your status. That can be what's true of you. And yet you don't get it in your life. In fact, that's true of most of us. That is true of you now, but yet you can't conceive it deeply in your heart. You might get it right on a test. You believe it in your head. But to truly receive and walk in that in your heart feels like a million miles away. And we might say, how can he say that to me? How can the Father look upon me and say, you belong to me and I'm pleased with you if he knows what my life looks like? And here's the only way. Because when you're in in union with Christ, his righteousness is now yours. That's the only way. It can't be because of any of your goodness or holiness of righteousness, anything that you've produced in and of yourself. If you're in union with Christ, all that He has accomplished, the perfect Son, is now true of you because you're in Christ. So it is actually true of you right now that the Father looks upon you and says, you're my son, you are my daughter, and I'm pleased with you. You see, the way to resist temptation in our life, the way to transform in our life, is not by willpower. Willpower doesn't stand a chance to these patterns of brokenness in our life. If you don't know that, go try it. Go try some willpower today and report back to how that goes. These, These patterns of brokenness in our life eats willpower for breakfast. It doesn't work. You've got to have something deeper, which is to be rooted like cement in your identity in Christ. And you see, it's walking in those places in your life, in this place of remembering, I am the Father's. I am His son. I am His daughter. He's pleased with me here. I'm, I'm facing something that's scary in my life. I'm, I'm experiencing anxiety in my life. I'm wondering, what's the future going to hold? I'm wondering, why is this happening in my life? I'm struggling with this in my life. What's happening? I feel like an orphan. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, I belong to the Father. He loves me. So that's preaching the gospel to yourself. And that is how we engage in spiritual warfare. That is how we resist temptation in our life. This morning, we get the privilege to come.
to the communion table. And this table is not for the strong. It's for the weak. You see, Jesus did not overcome by getting strong. He had the strength. How did he live his life? By becoming weak and dependent upon the Father. That's what we're called into in this table. You know, I've, I've had many times where I wrestle, am I worthy, am I strong enough spiritually to come to this table? That's thinking about it all wrong. The question is, are you weak enough for this table? Do you recognize your utter need and dependence on the Father? If you do, He welcomes you to His table where He feeds us. He feeds us with His Word. He feeds us with Jesus Himself, the bread of life. At this table, we come to feed upon Jesus that we might be rooted in that identity. That's what communion is all about. Rooting you in your identity in the Father. That I'm feeding upon Jesus. I belong to Him. The Father's pleased with me. I hope at communion table... You hear the Father say, I'm pleased with you right now. You're my son and you're my daughter. So I encourage you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, come and feast upon Jesus by faith. Part of how we get weak and prepare ourselves for grace is to just confess our sin and our need for Him. So would you join me in a prayer of confession together? As we come to the table, let me just encourage you as we're going to pray this together, don't let this just be a rote something that we do. Make this your prayer. Make this your confession to the Father. If this is true of you, it's true of me, I'll go ahead and say that. If this is true. Every word in here is true of me. If it's true of you, confess it to the Father and we'll experience His grace at the table. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Take a few moments to confess your sin silently to the Lord. Father, I confess that at the heart of all of my sin is this desire to live independently of you. Father, to build my identity on anything other than your beloved Son hidden in Christ. (coughs) Father, would you change us? Wash us clean with the perfect, powerful blood of your Son. And empower us to walk in newness of life. To walk in the power of Holy Spirit. Deeply rooted, not moved from our identity in Christ, which is beloved sons and daughters. Do this in us in order that you might be glorified in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.